All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being here today on the show. Morgan Murphy, the comedic talent that is Morgan Murphy, a stand-up comedian and a, a, a comedy writer, someone I've known a long time, someone who uh, we, had a, we have a bit of a past have not uh, been able to talk to her here in the garage for uh, a few different reasons, but uh, it's happened. She was on one live episode uh, a while back, and now she's back, and it was it was nice to catch up and uh, and heal. It's and heal. It's good to have that opportunity in life. It's good to have that opportunity to to heal, to admit your mistakes, to ask for forgiveness. To give yourself a break somehow, or to to at least take responsibility for uh, for things. That's the grown up way. You want to live with your heart, a just a simmering chunk of coal, an ember, a a a a, a glowing ember of self righteousness and contempt and resentment, or do you want to just maybe throw a little water on that on those rocks, get a little, get a little, get a little steam going. Get a little inner schwitz going to kind of purge, purge yourself of, of the pain of, uh, of spite. Rambling, man. Rambling and avoiding the reality. Avoiding the reality. The fact that Philip Seymour Hoffman died of a heroin overdose yesterday. The sadness of drug addiction. Taking lives the struggle of the drug addict to to stay off the shit to not get locked back into the groove where choices diminish where reason no longer applies where the will is compromised and tethered to a malignant desire horrendous it's a horrendous loss it's a horrendous loss when anybody uh, dies Tragically, in almost any way. Why not just say any way? But when you know somebody's been fighting, uh, I guess at one time was a, now let's say all times, a, a good fight against that particular bug. Having experienced that bug, having lived with that bug for all of my life, having somehow kept it at bay through a, uh, Various methods. Uh, I understand it. I understand that. Once you surrender your will to to getting high, all bets are off. You don't know what the fuck is going to happen. And this guy was a talented guy. He was one of the greatest actors who, uh, who ever lived. And he had this horrible struggle. And there's nothing more bothersome than horrible than people go like, eh, made a choice. Yeah, he made a choice, but I don't know that he had that much control, if any, over that choice. He was, his heart and mind were, were being given instruction by a fucking demon. It's it's probably one of the the closest, um, metaphorically, if not literally, uh, it is it is the the closest I have ever seen to demonic possession. Um, 
active drug addiction. It's nothing to be trivialized. It's nothing to be dismissed as some sort of uh, bad life choice. I, I really think that that kind of conversation about drugs needs to be eliminated from the culture. I mean, it's one thing to to try to stop drugs. That seems futile, but try to raise awareness and get people treatment so they at least have a shot, you know. And, and Philip Seymour Hoffman had had some periods of sobriety, but something something switched off. Something didn't stick. Something uh, was not there when he needed it to be there in terms of the support necessary to stop him from from re-entering the dragon, from opening his soul to the demon. Now he's gone. We lost him. We lost him to that. We lost him to that fucked up disease, fucked up drugs. You know, I've seen a lot of people uh, go down because of this. People in my business, people I've known, some people come back. Heroin's a tough, uh, tough monkey to kick, man. Seems to be the hardest to really re-enter life after being strung out on dope. You know that it's it sets the the bar of your uh, of your uh, brain chemicals so high and so low, so simultaneously that you can never recapture that. I think once you once you have that blast, once you feel that nod, that uh, a lot of things pale in comparison, and and the deep uh, hunger in the reptile brain for that, for that feeling uh, is a tough thing to stifle. I know cats that have uh, quit dope and kind of moved through uh, methadone and then became sort of uh, managing uh, alcoholics, drinkers, to, to sort of give that demon a taste. And a lot of them didn't go back to dope. Uh, yeah, the few guys I know that uh, that ended up sort of putting that at bay and, and just sort of nursing a drink every once in a while to take the edge off. Uh, they've done all right. You know, I'm not saying uh, abstinence is for everybody, but uh, as Jim Carroll said about, uh, you know, Kurt Cobain, he should have negotiated with the monkey. It's hard to negotiate with the monkey. Sometimes you got to cut that fucking monkey off. You know, uh, last week on Thursday, we ran an interview with Mark Spitz, who who also battled with heroin, but didn't, but uh, at this uh at this juncture has not lost and and is out of its uh, grips not sober per se but uh, out of the grips of that motherfucker heroin's a bitch drug addiction is horrible it's a mental illness it's a real disease and philip seymour hoffman is dead and it's sad and it's sad because you know just know that there is help available and and i have I have, and this may be a little serious, I understand. Uh, maybe I'll get to something funny in a minute. But there is help available. There's help on the way. There's always help there if you, uh, if you look for it. You know, the hardest thing about it is once you get into that mind, once you are in demon mind, uh, your decision-making capacity or, or your will to say, like, you know, to know uh, that you're in trouble uh, becomes some, somewhat, uh, somewhat compromised. You know, I'll kick tomorrow. Yeah. R.I.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman. You were great. As I said, Morgan Murphy is on the show. I'm heading to New York this week to do a thing. I don't think I can tell you what the thing is. It's not going to be a thing that you can see for a while. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to tell you. So in the middle of all this, I got to go to New York and I just get done shooting my show. Uh, 
Here's what happens. Uh, I've been putting off taking LaFonda to the vet. Need to take LaFonda to the vet because her fucking eye is changing color and she's got a growth on her lip that is getting bigger. So I'm like, all right, it's uh, the Friday after I got done shooting. Let's wrestle the mongoose into a fucking cage. These are half wild cats. As you know, my cats are feral, both monkey and LaFonda and uh, and uh, Boomer, wherever he may be. All wild cats initially. That means they're skittish, and when they turn on you, they fucking turn on you like their life depends on it. And I got to get LaFonda into the cage to take her to the vet. And that means I got one shot, people, one shot. I got to put that cage in my bedroom, open the top of that cage, and when LaFonda is on the bed, this is a cat that does not like being picked up for any reason. I got one shot, folks. Oh, that's all you get. One shot. If you miss your shot, if she gets wind of it, if she gets onto you and she rip, takes out her fucking claws, you're in trouble and you got to wait till another day. That's just the way this shit goes. I had one shot. She was laying on the bed, had the cage open overnight, petted her, said, that's it, baby. How you doing? Grabbed her by the scruff of the neck, got her into that fucking cage and took her to the vet to get her eye and her lip looked at. Took my friend Moon with me for moral support. Well, because we had other things to do. So we get there. Dr. Jimerson over Gateway Animal Hospital comes out, uh, says, what's the matter? I said, her eyes changing color. She's got growth on her lip. We open the cage. LaFonda's not coming out. We turn the cage upside down with the cage door open. LaFonda has somehow managed in a very cartoon-like way to put her four paws on either side of the door from the inside and not fall out. Jimerson says, is this a difficult cat? I'm like, this cat's a fucking monster, Doc. And he goes, well, why don't you tell me? Let's put her under. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, can you just tell me about the eye? He goes, yeah, that looks normal. I said, what about the growth? Well, I don't know. We got we to gotta get in there. We got to put her out and look at it and see if it's cancer. It might be cancer. If it's black, it might be cancer. So I'm panicky. Moon, who is tempered and chooses to care more about people uh, than animals, though she likes animals, uh, she does not quite get the anxiety and uh, desperate fear that comes over me when I have cat problems, which I can only take is in one way, is that, yes, I am a, a fucking sad man with, with uh, ridiculously low emotional priorities because my 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 heart is attached to this cat and the other cat who have been quite frankly the only consistent uh, uh animals in my life for the last decade they have always been there and that's that i can poo poo it i can say like yeah my cats are my cats or yeah i have a love hate relationship with my cats but to be fucking honest with you these cats have been my anchor for over a decade and now this one's got maybe a cancer on its face so here's where it gets a little dicey. I let uh, Doc uh, Doc Jimerson put her down. I say, clean her teeth, clip her claws, you know, give her a tune-up, comb her out, and uh, see what that is. A couple hours later, he says, not cancer. It was a cyst, but uh, we took it off. I go to pick up the cat, and they got a cone on this fucking cat's head. My cat, LaFonda, has never had a cone on her head. Cat, And, you know, and when something is irritating the LaFonda, that's, uh, that's when things get wild. So now I got a wild cat with a cone on her fucking head. And the doctor's like, you got to leave that on a week. So now I got to go to New York to, in two days. So that, that, would t- be, that would mean that the cat would be at home with the cone and I wouldn't be there. I don't know if the cat's going to hang itself. It's going to, if it's going to, you know, get fucked up with the cone. I, I'm hoping that it can adapt to the cone. I bring her home. She immediately uh, gets out of the cage, runs around the house, not knowing what's on her head or how to see properly properly runs into everything scurries under the bed stays there for two fucking days till i finally fed her with a spoon doesn't shit doesn't pee doesn't eat cannot get the cat out from under the bed stuck down there with cone not adapting 
This is a standoff. And there's nothing sadder and more pathetic than a cat that has dignity, beauty, and a will, and a fucking edge with her head in a fucking cone. Just looking at me thinking, you know, I I anthropomorphize a bit. She's looking at me going, you fucking asshole. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to shit. I'm not going to pee until you take this thing off of my head, you fuck. So eventually, I decided that I couldn't live with it. So I got her out, and I took the cone off. I'm rolling the dice. I'm rolling the dice. I looked at her. I said, do not rip those stitches open because that'll be a real problem. I'm trusting you here. But what the beautiful thing was is that I took the cone off, and this was a cat that hadn't eaten in two days or peed or shit. And this cat went <laughs> went into the, uh, got the cone off, and she went, Meow. and then she uh, immediately uh, went into where the litter box was and got into that litter box. And I'm just sitting at the table doing some work with my cat Monkey on the table. And LaFonda starts, I just hear her peeing and then she starts singing. She started making a sound I'd never heard her make before. Just like, and I'm like, what is happening? What is happening? And I just went back to the room where the litter box is. I stuck my head around and she was just peeing and singing. She was singing because she had been spitefully holding her pee and this was a victory song, a victory song in, in, in my face. She doesn't seem to be picking at the stitches. I think we're out of the woods. I hope it's going to be the way it's going to be. It's only two stitches. I'm not going to freak out about it. All right, right now my uh, guest is uh, Morgan Murphy. Uh, we go way back. I've known her since she was a child, kind of, because she, uh, yeah, I think I met her when she was maybe 21, 22, and uh, she's an incredibly successful comedy writer and stand-up comedian. Her special is called Irish Goodbye. Uh, it's on Netflix, and now the album is on iTunes, and uh, we're going to talk to her. We're going to get to know Morgan Murphy. Is that all right? And I'm going to get to make up with her again. If you can hear yourself. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. That's a pleasure, isn't it, to hear me in your head? Huh? Always. Isn't it nice when it's not yelling? Listen. <laughs> is that what it sounds like? This is what your voice sounds <laughs> it's, like? That's what it sounds like when it's not yelling. At normal levels? Uh-huh. That's isn't, exciting. Isn't that amazing it's what microphones can do? remotely threatening. Right. The, I, these are special mics that remove the threat. <laughs> it's uh, Mine's uh, custom made to remove the threat. Um, so... Morgan Murphy. Yeah. I don't usually start like that. I don't usually. Oh, we started? Yeah. I don't usually do a set like a, like a casual NPR type of like, uh, so Morgan Murphy, yeah. like when they reset, what is happening? What did you do this morning? <clears throat> I, I, mean, um... I The last time I talked to you, you have, uh, you know, you go, uh, what do you, you hole up in Santa Monica <laughs> by yourself yeah. to surf. So you go down the street. Yeah. And and hole up in a hotel, nice hotel. Yeah, try to go to a nice hotel, stay there, get a little writing done, try to surf. I, I never was a beach person, you know. I never got told to like go in the ocean and try it out. It was, you never went with the grandparents on the big schlep day with the mom. No, you know, the grand- my mom's, you know, my mom is like a know. shade person. My mom's a a a pale Jew, like she just is a, a hat and a shade and doesn't want to be in the sun person. So I never want to Well, there's, yeah, there's definitely a few kinds of Jews. Yeah. I don't partic- I don't know that kind. The pale Jew? The pale want to stay in the shade Jew. Really? Yeah, I know the kind that get to a point where they're like, let's go to the beach and sit. I come from beach sitters. Yeah. Yeah. No, I come from sun avoiders. Uh-huh. 
Where is your mom? She's in Connecticut now. Yeah. Where yeah. was she? She well, we I grew up in L.A. with her, and then we moved to Connecticut when I was a sophomore in high school. She went back to Connecticut. She stayed there ever since I was. I mean, we moved there when I was in high school. In high school. And, and where's she's your dad? Since my dad is kind of back and forth between New York and Palm Springs. That sounds shifty. Yeah. <laughs> I got no idea. I mean, I, you know, you could ask me a million questions. I wouldn't have the answers about my dad. You can't even speculate what's going on in Palm Springs. Uh, you know, they uh, he he somehow makes enough money to be able to do uh, a oh, few things. So he's got a he's got a place in Palm Springs. He got a little condo, yeah. A little condo and a place in New York. Yeah, and his girlfriend. Him and his girlfriend. Yeah. What's he up to? I have no idea. You don't know. No, I don't know. I really don't know. I really don't know. I got, I'm like, all right, that sounds fun. He was recently producing um, uh, an Elvis Presley stage show at a casino in Palm Springs. Really? Yeah. Is that his background or is that just no, one? No, that's his that hustle. Just a thing he did. You don't know how he got involved with that? No. You, he just told you one day, like, I'm doing a thing. Yeah. You want to come out? He yeah, invited me out. I was never able to see it. Apparently, it was uh, a real joy. Uh-huh. Who, Elvis he... painted while he performed. What? Yeah. What do you, what, I what, know. How did everyone not hear about this already? That was the angle? Yeah. An Elvis impersonator who paints? Yeah. Stop it. No. Wait, how does that happen? Does he have bring someone up from the audience and paint them? No, I think he paints on the canvas. That's the show? Yeah. Huh. Is it a big, <laughs> big draw? Well, I mean, it's at the local casino in downtown Palm Springs. I don't know how big a draw. The local casino downtown in Palm Springs, an Elvis impersonator painting yeah. on stage. And singing. And singing yeah. while he paints? Yeah. As sort of, um, is he just not committed to the singing? <laughs> <laughs> what? He's got like one hand in both. He, he's, he hasn't picked a, an art yet. But what what was your dad's racket before that? Um, I don't, you know, my dad, I grew up with my mom, so it was always very uh, blurry. Whatever my dad was doing was he always was, very was, yeah. broad and blurry. It was always sort of like trying to produce some thing into reality <laughs> he made a couple movies like in the in the 80s i think he did yeah did you see him no i i saw did anybody uh he made a movie called osterman weekend with I the sam that. peckinpah yeah. movie what do you mean he made that he executive produced it i think he executive produced the osterman weekend i think so you know, IMDb, that was yeah. like his last movie, I think. Yeah. That was Peckinpah's last movie. It, yeah. was, it was a complicated movie. I think Rutger Hauer is in it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he is. So your dad was a movie producer. Yeah, a little bit. Uh-huh. But I, again, I didn't live with him, so I don't... Like, a lot of it was before me, and a what lot of it was... With, but what is that with people who don't grow grow up with their with their dads? I'm, I'm, I, I, I have another friend... You know, who has a dad who did things, and there's sort of this lack of clarity about it. Like, yeah, he did a thing. Yeah, because it's nothing that seems to have. Uh, it's a. Th it, it so exists in my past. Like, I don't. It's not a thing he still does, or maybe he does, and I don't know it. But wouldn't you think that making a movie would be sort of exciting? Were you not in the loop? I wasn't I guess? in the loop. Oh. I wasn't in the loop, and it was a lot. Like a lot of it was before me. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything. He worked for. I remember the only time I remember his movie life even crossing over into mine was yeah. that I got to go to like the premiere of uh, like Land Before Time, one of those animated movies when I was a kid. Uh -huh. Like somehow he oh, right. was working for someone. That was a good hookup. So that was a hookup. <laughs> 
but I don't know how. I, mean, I didn't know as a kid like how I got to do that. I just knew it was one of those days where my dad was going to pull up and pick me up. Take you to a thing. Take me somewhere. Yeah. A big thing. A big thing. This is, I'm going to surprise you. This is a big thing. <laughs> We're going to a place. Oh, that's sad and no, sweet. It's sweet, yeah. So you, you entirely without the father in the place? Um, I, I'm, yeah, from when I was like three, and then I moved in with him when I was like 17. And he grew up in Los Angeles? What part of Los Angeles? Grew up in the valley in Studio City. Just like that? Uh, moved down here from Oregon when I was a baby. Who was in Oregon? My mom and my dad. They my, were both they, in Oregon. Yeah, my parents split, and uh, my mom took me down here. What was your dad's racket in Oregon? My dad was a lawyer. He my was. My dad was like a yeah. He was a my dad like you know went to Yale and became a lawyer and had like a I think he had a you know he had a Porsche and all. This is all my dad before I knew him. So yeah, I hear all this stuff. My right. my cousins used to call him Uncle Trouble. Oh really? Yeah. Fun dad. Yeah. You missed all that. I missed all of that. I mi- well, I missed the booze. I, yeah. My dad was a you know a big boozer and uh, and basically my mom was like stop drinking and took me away. <laughs> and he didn't. He did. He did stop, but yeah. she still took you away. It seems like she balked on that deal. Yeah. <laughs> like there must have been some condition. Like if you stop, I will stay with the child. Yeah. And he stopped, and she was like, "No, nah, it's a bluff." Yeah. I don't like either way. Well, he was. I, as far as I know, like he was. Uh, I feel like he was getting sober for a long time. Like it, you know. Yeah. I, I think it was a big part of my childhood was him adjusting to being sober. Being sober, and he's still sober. Yeah, yeah, like thirty years. Wow. Huh. Uh huh. And this is your dad's not Jewish. No, he's Catholic, Irish Catholic. Was that what was your structure as a? I was raised Jewish. Right. By my mom. But I was, uh, yeah, like I went to Hebrew school till I was 13, and then I never got bat mitzvah, which I always think is like the Jewiest thing. She, because my mom didn't want to spend money on a bat mitzvah, so I didn't she ever told have to. you? Yeah, she felt like at 13. I went for years. That was the big payoff. Yeah, that was a big payoff. Nothing. Nothing. Did, have you dealt with that resentment? Uh, there's a lot. I think there are things higher on the list. <laughs> than denying you a bat mitzvah. Than denying me a bat mitzvah. <laughs> So, so your mom comes down here. They split up. You mm-hmm. and, and you're in Studio City. Is she in show business? She's a no. She's a graphic designer. Mm. So she's like an artist. And, she was uh, always an artist. Yeah. She was a graphic designer then. Uh yeah, yeah. And what does a graphic designer do? Does she do magazine work? Yeah, yeah, magazine like uh, brochures, uh, catalogs. Can she paint the shit out of stuff? She used to be able to. I don't know when she gets back into stuff. She can. When you see her draw like freehand, you're yeah. like, oh yeah, that, that woman knows how to do stuff like it's, yeah. it's pretty impressive and, and is there a sibling around nothing just no, you just me what the fuck man that's a lot of pressure i always think that's a lot of pressure yeah it, it is when things aren't I, like in in hindsight i would have loved somebody to co-commiserate with yeah could somebody get <laughs> like this lady's crazy right like right. i had nobody right you know but there's you're asking your imaginary friends if your mom is crazy you're as crazy as she is it's the worst <laughs> but it, it like the i i guess it's me projecting but so with an only child there's none of that sort of like you know this is all on me i better not disappoint these people uh there must have been some of that because i was a real uh I, I don't know if i tried to please her but i definitely tr- was like a kid who tried to impress you know right like uh adults precocious is that what they call it i'm trying to think of yeah i like a lot of coach you know i played a lot of sports so it was always coaches and people like that that i wanted to be awesome and impress them and 
kind of surrogate father types and so you felt there was a search for that i think so yeah yeah, yeah i feel that i've noticed that with people who don't have uh, the dad in the picture yeah they got a lot to prove yeah i think uh you know i, I don't know i don't know why I, I, sports in particular was where i did all of that and what what sports um what i mean basketball softball karate <laughs> did some karate <laughs> yeah I did what karate. belt did you get uh, red. Your red belt karate? You don't hear that much. Is that higher than black? No, it's one <laughs> lower than black. Did your mom pull you from class on that? Like actually, I had to. Uh, actually, I yeah, I tore up uh, my ankle doing karate, and uh, and my basketball and uh, softball coaches made me quit karate so that I would. Because you were such an asset to the team, they're like, "What are you wasting yeah. your time on that hobby?" Yeah, exactly. I, you know enough to to protect yourself. Pick up the bat. <laughs> But um, but yeah, the sports were my life for a long, a long time. A weird, you know, it actually even for years I didn't want to do them. I yeah. was doing them. Yeah, you didn't want to. You just felt like you had to. I think getting into like my teenage years, I realized that I wanted to do something creative and didn't really have an outlet for it. So I just kept playing sports because I was good at them. Yeah. So and and I was moving around every year. So like sports teams were a built-in social group but if i was at a new school it was like oh well i'm you're a good basketball player so here are some new friends and they're right. basketball players but well you moved around a lot i went to yeah i mean i went to three high schools in three states so at what you, for, for three different years yeah middle of my sophomore year i moved from southern california to connecticut and then um between my junior and senior year i moved from connecticut to oregon hmm. back to oregon back to oregon your mom went back to Oregon. Um, my no, I went back oh, to Oregon. Oh, to live with your dad. He was and up I there. Lived with uh, some family friends, and then an aunt and uncle, and then my dad. You lived with family friends. Yeah, for like a few months. What happened there? Um, I, you know, it was weird. I was living with. I mean, I lived with aunt and uncles in Connecticut too. I was. My mom was kind of not into it. Not into it. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. She was having her own. She was having her own. Uh, her own time. And uh, really. Yeah, yeah. So I lived with, I, I kind of got bounced around. Like I lived with my mom's sister and uh, like my aunt and uncle in Connecticut. And then I would go back with my mom, then back with my aunt. And then it was just crazy. And so I basically went out to Oregon for summer for, for a break, whatever that is when you're 16, whatever, yeah. you know, not my own break. Did that, but didn't that piss you off? I didn't understand at the time that it was... Uh, that it was crazy. I think I, I, I definitely, like, I. that's when I started, I started getting, like, really bad panic attacks and stuff at that time, and I, now, obviously, you know, I realized, like, oh, I was, I was... Abandoned? Well, yeah, and I was internalizing everything that was happening around me, but I didn't, uh, at the time, think, wow, you know, everything around me is nuts. I just was, like, uh, became an anxious, sad person. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. when it happened in your kind of in my yeah. From your mom fre freaking out and your dad was doing his own thing. I think from just being passed around and not having the stability. Yeah. Right. How yeah. did that panic manifest itself? Um, it, I would just start started getting panic attacks, like really severe Can't panic breathe. attacks, and not yeah, just not knowing what was happening and feeling you know <sighs> disoriented and sick and dizzy and just like just really thinking I was sick for like a year and then. You know, knock on wood, like somebody 
you know, convinced me to try an antidepressant, and that worked, and that was... It, well, how old were you when that happened? When that happened? Um, I tried different ones, and then when I was like 15, and then uh, when I was 16, I think, uh, I got put on Paxil, which yeah. I don't take anymore, but yeah. for whatever reason, that kind of clicked, and, and it gave suddenly you a... had footing, whatever oh. that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you turned down the uh, the it grounded you a little. Yeah, yeah, and allowed me to sort of have a little independence, which I think I like. I needed desperately. And did you go to therapy in, in cahoots yeah, with that? Yeah. Because sometimes you take that stuff, and then it gives you frees you up to deal with the source of it. Uh, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I've been going to therapy since I was like sixteen, fifteen. How many 16. different therapists? Um, probably four or five. Can you remember, because I was doing this on the show the other day, did you get, did you learn something from each one of them? Can you, like, could you go through I think them? I learned something from one of them. One? Yeah. Really? I mean, the first, my first kind of doctor, I, I, I really do credit for sort of saving me and that I was flailing. When and you were 15? When I was, yeah, 15, 16. What was the situation? Who sent you? Um, she actually sent me to, uh, your mom, no, my, my, this was in Oregon, uh, family friends. <laughs> this was, uh, she sent me to the adolescent psychiatric unit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The she, reason I'm interested in this is cause yeah, sure. like, I remember when I got put into therapy for the first time, mm-hmm. so I was like maybe 13 or 14. Yeah. Not cause I was depressed. I just didn't was having motive i was not doing anything i was like lethargic or something or disruptive were you smoking pot no i didn't get into drugs till i was way into high school yeah um and even then it was i was nervous about it yeah my drug stuff started in college full on but i went i remember going to group therapy i remember the first psychiatrist i went to for that original uh, uh, that first analysis and this sort of there's creepiness to it i didn't have i didn't understand what i was there for but then once i got into group therapy i was like well this is great there's an audience and there's girls here and you know and that that but it, it had no it was your first open mic yeah <laughs> I, it, but it, i don't think it had any real effect on me other than yeah. uh to sort of uh kind of reaffirm my uh my ability to to lead in the wrong way. Right. So when you went in, were you like in bad enough shape to take it in? Um, I think that, I don't know. I, I, I think that if uh, when a doctor suggests that you do this, uh, you're sort of reminded, at least for me, like it was a little bit of a the outside world, other adults saying, we're doing this because your situation is crazy. And like, uh, were you suicidal? Um, yeah. I mean, I think I thought I was at the time. Yeah. You know, I don't know how, I don't know. I, I, I thought I was, but, uh, did you have other things? Was there eating things and that no, kind of stuff? No, no craziness, no craziness. Just, um, that's why it's sort of boring. It's like when you're just depressed and have some anxiety issues, it's, you are the most boring person in a in a in a unit in the adolescent uh, uh, yeah. adolescent psychiatric unit. Yeah. So what happened? Um, they, you know, honestly, they just uh, that was where they put me on 
the right antidepressant, and uh, and it was very easy. Like it was everybody else there was was a lot of tantrums and you know like locking someone up because they were hurting themselves and shit like that. You saw that? I was, you mean you were locked up for, I mean, you were on the unit for a while? Yeah, like not that long, like right. a week or something, wow. you know, a week and a half. And, yeah. and, uh, and I think weirdly a big part of it was my doctor getting me away from the adults in my life who were not necessarily stable or I don't want to say unsafe, but in a weird way, I think she knew it was like a reprieve. But you seem so, like, in all of my interactions with you, you seem so uh, almost compressed uh, and level. When did that start? When did... <laughs> I, I can't... I have to imagine that when you're on the basketball court, you're not going, hey, how's it going? I uh, I think part of my... Uh, the level that I'm at, like, probably affected me negatively in sports. And stuff. Like, I was never that aggressive or that... You know, but you were you were a good player. I was a good player, but I wasn't. I didn't want to f- like you know box out. I didn't want to fight anybody. I just wanted to kind of show off and you know <laughs> let let me do my thing. <laughs> but uh, were you a good team player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did all the you know the songs and stuff and the from the dugout. You know all that oh, all yeah. that sports chatter. Crap. Yeah, yeah. I did all that, but I I kind of hated it. Yeah. Why, why do you mean you hated it? I hate it. Like from thirteen, fourteen, I hated it. I just kept doing it. What was it that you hated? I just didn't. Th- I, I, you know, I was jealous of like the weird kids with the journals, like scribbling in their locker. You know, I was that. I thought that's that. So I think you, that's who I am. But I'm. But I gotta hang out with all these basketball players because you you were a jock. Yeah. And 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 you were that was your social unit. Yeah. So then when you saw like the 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 troubled. Yeah. The troubled artsy ones. Yeah, you're like, there's one of them inside. Yeah, of me. yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> and when did you access that initially? Uh, I think like when I was in high school, I realized like I don't. What's the end to the sports <laughs> stuff? Basically, it's like I don't want to go. Nowhere. Yeah, I'm not. And <laughs> you know, you want to meet boys, and you're not. I don't. I don't know why I thought like my Letterman jacket would help me meet boys. <laughs> like I just <laughs> just it's didn't. A, it's, none it's of it a, happened. It's a role switcher. Yeah, yeah. You, maybe you met. <laughs> Slightly effeminate boys. Yeah, <laughs> but it was also a great, you know, it was one of those things where, like, I was the only freshman. I was a freshman on varsity basketball and varsity softball. And, like, so for that year, it did everything I wanted to do, which was, like, make me feel special. Uh-huh. And, you know, be cool. Uh, you the, had a the older jacket? kids were, you know, yeah. like, oh, you know, like, yeah. Morgan's sit with us at the basketball game in the yeah. bird's nest. Or, you know, I'm uh-huh. like, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to do it. Were you drinking? No. No. Oh. No, I didn't do I didn't do any of that until I was in college. I didn't so, know where to get it. Like when you move around too a lot, yeah. I didn't meet anyone to get drink or drugs or I didn't, because the bad kids were the kids that you wanted to be. Yeah, with. like the the kids you were hanging out with probably just drank beer, right? Yeah, and then one of them, I think I had some like a uh, Goldschlager when I was a Ooh, freshman because yeah, somebody yeah. on one of my teams was dating a twenty one year old. A shot of Goldschlager. Yeah. yeah, at man. a um at a park, uh, playground. Right on, man. You know was that I mean? warm? Did it feel warm? Yeah. <laughs> Your friend was dating a 21-year-old who was giving high school girls a gold schwager. Yeah, she was 18, he was 21, I was like 14 or something. Yeah. I was just... <laughs> wonder how they're doing. They probably made it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did. But what was the transition into arts and what what, what did you choose to do? What um, was, when did you buy your first notebook and start wearing regular clothing? <laughs> I was... Uh... 
honestly, that summer that I was in the adolescence, psychiatric, whatever. Um, oh, yeah, that was the first therapist. So all you learn from them is like, okay, I'm, I'm away from my parents. Clearly, I have some issues. These pills seem to be helping. Yeah. I'll go home now. Basically, but also, you know, and, and, and again, like I'm not a proponent of like just doing antidepressants and thinking that'll fix your life. But that, I really do think that that had a, a huge impact in directing where I went the following year, which was like the first year that I didn't play basketball at school. I was uh-huh. at a new school. Uh, basically, basically, I did a play instead. What play? Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but I was like a, a waitress a new, with a New York accent. Oh, yeah? And A um, couple lines? A couple lines. And that, uh, was the, that was it? That was... The stages for me moment? Not necessarily even the stages for me moment. It was, oh, I'm kind of finally doing, I think, what I want to do and not what I'm being pushed into. And there's no one telling me I have to play basketball. There's no one telling me I have to do anything. Did like your I dad was, tell you how to play basketball? No, no. Did my your mom? mom used to. Really? Yeah. She wanted basketball for you. Basketball, softball, whatever sports. You know. Why did she think that sports? I mean, I don't disagree with I her. I think that her social life and her life was so um, intertwined with my sports life that if I had stopped and a huge part of her life would have stopped. What, just going to the games, being with the other parents, yeah. uh, the rah-rah thing? Yeah, you and know. you know, having something to rag about me, huh. you know. Really? I think all of that. Yeah, and also I'm assuming that there's part of a parent who doesn't want their kid to quit something. I'm sure that was just another part of it. Because I feel like I was denied some sort of uh, you, you know coping mechanism by not being taught how to lose and how to play on a team mm-hmm. and how to uh, to to sort of know that it's not all about me necessarily. I mean, did, were, did you find that in your life? Can you look back at all that time doing sports like softball and basketball that th- you did take something positive from it? Oh, than- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it gave me, I mean, I, I don't think I'm a tremendously confident person, but I think it gave me as much confidence as, as anything could have uh-huh. at the time. You know, and par- partially because I was just naturally good at it. So I was lucky to be naturally good at it because I don't know if I would have worked harder to right. get better. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but what about like working with others and that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, you, I, I don't focus on it. Like, I don't think like, oh yeah, that's what taught me teamwork, but I'm sure somehow it did. What about learning to lose? I'm just, I'm just projecting because I want confirmation yeah. from somebody who went through it. Um, because when you play sports yeah. and you play a lot of games, losing is like, all right, team, we didn't get that one. It's not like, I'm going to kill myself. I suck. <laughs> this is horrible. I don't deserve to live. Um, that yeah. happened this morning to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never took that like win, lose. I mean, I wanted to win, you know, but I, right. I, uh, I don't think I was ever as upset about losing as most people, mostly because I just, it wasn't as an important part of my life, I think, in my head, mentally, as it was for most people. But so, okay, so you do the play. Yeah. And what, a light bulb goes off? You're like, I, I, I got some laughs. Um, yeah, I, it, well, a big part of it was, a big part of why I was happy I did it was that I just, I was so, I went from being so anxious and so um, nervous to do things and, you know, 
go play. I mean, was, you know, doing something live in front of people was yeah. the scariest thing I could think of. And uh, so it was a matter of, okay, I can do that. That was really it. Like, okay, I can do that. I did that. I can do it. If I can do that, then I can, you know, maybe do uh, other things. Or, you know, it's getting over fears, I think, is probably a big... Uh, Putting yourself in the situation to wrestle with your fears, to overcome them. Uh, yeah, and then I I sort of hosted a open mic type of thing at right. my high school that year in, like, characters, which I don't do. I don't know why. Could that you tell was, me which characters I, I would enjoy? I was like a, I think I was like a sheriff that was, like, demanding people listen or something. I can't even remember. Can we, it was, can we, get, a, can we get a little bit of that? Uh, there's none of it. There's none of Did it. Did you even do like, a voice? Yeah, I don't do voices or accents. I don't. I don't act out things, so I don't know why this was like the first foray into performing. Well, you just come off your uh, amazing success as a New York of waitress, course, and of course. you're like, you're, you're, I'm sure you had a, a, an accent. How are you? How uh, what's the New York accent? Uh, uh, you know, it was like, can I get you something? Yeah, you oh, know, one of those kind of kind of tough. Yeah, kind of yeah. tough. Uh-huh. I did get best accent that year in the theater department. Oh, very good. Yeah, Congratulations. <laughs> With the with your classic reading Jesuit of- Jesuit High School, Portland, Oregon. So uh, okay, so you host the open mic with your sheriff character. Yeah, and a couple laugh. other characters. A couple other like what were they? Morgan? I don't even honestly, I don't remember. Was it, were any of them animals? Um, I, I think they were all uh, characters that had been done fifty thousand times before I before I did them, and then uh, and then I played the bass in an Ani DeFranco song. You did. I did. You know how to play bass. No, I was trying to trying to trying to know. So that was part of the hosting gig. Uh, that was that was my performance in the uh, in the talent show. So the joke was you trying to learn to play. No, bass? no, no. I played I played the bass, and my friend was spiky hair. She. Uh, so this was an earnest performance. This was an earnest performance. She sang, mm-hmm. and I played the bass on an Ani DeFranco song. And you took that seriously. I took that very seriously. <laughs> How else is there to play an Annie Franco song? You have to take it very seriously. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is year of 15? Uh, like 16, turning 17, something like that. And what kind of music were you into? Uh, Hip hop and like like a lot of like lesbian folk. Oh, yeah? Indigo Girls? Yeah, and the only girls, point of like Annie DeFranco, like, yeah. you know, Jill Sabuel, like, you know, yeah. like yeah. just whoever. Somebody on my softball team had introduced me to all this music wow, that in, her, uh, in her sense. VW Bug. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. With <laughs> a visualized World Peas bumper sticker. Uh-huh. Was there uh, any other agenda there? Probably. Oh, you didn't pick up on that? I you did You just saw, like, this is cool. She's uh, playing some music. I was like, man, this is a cool chick. She's like a senior. She wears a, you know, one of those hemp necklaces. And we're, <laughs> and we're just hanging out in her bug. In her bug. That was it. That was it. Come on! I'm telling you, that was it. I, you know, I didn't. I that that was like, I've gone what probably 25 of my 32 years, like with people thinking I'm a lesbian. I, I you know, winding up in VW Bugs, which is like I think you know uh, is just a starter car. Yeah. For, for a lesbian, I'm <laughs> sure she didn't stick with that one. I don't know what she's driving now. Yeah. So okay. So 25 years thinking you're a lesbian. You never thought that. No, but I thought, like, what if I am and I don't know it? Kind of that stuff. Because so many people would, you know, would say, like, oh, so you're they, gay. You're, like, <laughs> like, I don't think I am. You're but... fighting consensus. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, maybe I'm missing something. Yeah. How'd you solve that one? Um, I mean, I just kept fucking guys and <laughs> going, like, I like, this is nice. I don't know. 
I'm, I'm really okay with this. I'm okay with this. <laughs> I'm not feeling any compulsion to do yeah. anything. I just love, I love sports. I love, I'm even to this day, like I, I'm obsessed. I watch sports mm-hmm. obsessively. I bet on sports and I, you know, it's, I, I feel like if you do things that are traditionally male things, then people think you're gay. Huh. That's true. Does that bother you? No, it used to. And now it's, I kind of don't care. I mean, I've gotten even more into sports and more into, uh, I don't know, no, it doesn't bother me at all. I, the one thing that makes me a little bit sad is that because neither of my parents drink. You know, my, my dad's into sports. My mom's not at all. And I grew up with her, so I don't even know how I got into sports. But my grandfather was like, you know, he play, like he played poker and he drank whiskey and he watched sports. And in my head, I'm like, God, that's the guy I wish I would have been able to hang out with and do all that stuff with. Because I feel like I, I'm like, oh, that's me. Like poker and whiskey and yeah. boxing and, yeah. you know. You think you, that that was burned into your head there? Because my grandfather had a profound effect on my childhood. I don't remember him really, so I don't. Is your father's father? Yeah, my my mother's father, sorry. Oh, the Jew. Yeah, the Jew. Ah. Yeah. The gambler. Yeah. The smoker the, the, of cigars, perhaps? Uh, he was a cigarette smoker. Oh, even better. Yeah. He was like Full a, on. You know, just a. Yeah. Guy you, who liked the fights and yeah. liked to smoke. And, classic. Yeah. A classic, uh, you know, worker Jew. Yeah. What is a he? man Jew. A man Jew. Yeah. Not a writer Jew. No. <laughs> a man Jew. Yeah. Yeah, I break them into, uh, to, there's there's the math Jew. Right. And the peasant Jew. Right. The peasant Jew is stockier. <laughs> the math yeah. Jew is slighter and usually yeah, yeah, wears yeah. glasses. I have a bit of a peasant Jew. Like physically, my people are very- Yeah. Farmy, yeah, the farm Jews, yeah, yeah, the women, very shelf-like breasts, uh-huh. and, you know, yeah, yeah, and 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 stout, yeah, stout. Maybe. Your mom too. Um, my my mom and her sister are are rounder than me. They're they're are they like little semitic, comfy, semitic tanks or zoftic, like uh, they have their have their shoulders leveled off into something that looks like they throw a punch. No, not not so much, but it's 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 a look to me that says like I'm going to go collect the eggs and plow the field and, <laughs> and hope not to get killed. Yeah, by a Cossack yeah. or a Nazi. Yeah, yeah, that's romantic. Um, but you never met the old, the grandfather. I met him, but I he passed when I was like six or something. That's enough for you to see him play poker. Yeah, maybe I did. You don't have any memory of no it. memory of it. So when did the comedy start? Let's get to that. Um, when I was like, uh, when I came down to LA for college, I did. Uh, Where'd you go to college? Loyola Marymount University. That seems like a, a a school I've heard of. Is that a good school? It's a Jesuit college. What is with all the Catholic fucking schools, man? My dad kind of. Uh, Je- my dad had gone to Jesuit in Oregon, and I never would have gotten in. And they basically like let me in. I was so like the a- Jesuits that goes all the way through. That you know, once you have a Jesuit card, no, I just my to- my dad uh, was my basically my whole family has like gone to that high school, and they kind of threw me a bone, I think, by letting me in. And the half breed. Yeah, the half breed, but also, you know, a kid her senior year, like not with great grades, with like mental health issues, you know. And uh, did they think Jesus might fix you? I don't know what they thought might fix me, but I did feel like I got fixed there that year. Did you have to wear an outfit? No. Oh. No, but um, but there, I actually sent them a check. This I've never like done an alumni check, but I I do feel like uh. I don't know. I feel like they had no reason to kind of accept I like me, this, and they did. This weird sort of um, uh, 
discomfort you have with uh, earning money. <laughs> it's, 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 How so? What do you mean? Um, you're, well, when, when you first told me about your weekend surf excursions oh, yeah. down the street, you were sort of half apologizing for the fact that I'm earning enough money to rent a hotel room down the street <laughs> and surf. It's not, it's a good thing. I'm doing it for, you felt like you needed to explain yourself yeah. to me that this luxury you were affording yourself was a. Something that like, you know, I'm not really that person, but, I, you know, I am renting a hotel room on weekends and surfing. I think it. I think for everybody, the minute, and, and I by no means have like a tremendous amount of money, but when you start to make some extra money. Yeah. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? Yeah. And do you deserve to do anything with it? Yeah. I. You know, that's interesting because I, I know that feeling. Because yeah. uh, if you don't have dependents. Right. And your life is relatively small just because that's the way you've always lived it. Yeah. It's sort of like, all right, th- what am I supposed to get? Yeah. And if you're also a person who, not unlike you, is anxious or has sort of you know, depressive qualities, uh, I don't I don't think to buy things. Right. I don't, I don't, like, you know what I mean? It's like people are like, you think maybe you ought to get a new car when you're driving up to the set of your own show? You're driving a 2006 stripped down Camry <laughs> that's fucked up and dirty. Yeah. And I'm like, why? And then like, I, I, it seems that you've made the jump in your head where you're like, oh, th- this is America. Yeah. That's one of the sources of joy is buying something that might make your life better right. or more comfortable or fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 don't I only that. learned that like the last year or two right i don't have i don't i don't have it it's it's still stressful to me because there's part of me that's sort of like I, what, what if that money doesn't come back right but then there's also the element of like well why don't i buy new curtains yeah i don't know why i always feel like i have to have money saved away in case i in case i like lose my mind again and need to take a year off i always like have a deep fear that i'm gonna you know have a complete breakdown really i have a fear that like i'll, I'll have a stroke <laughs> uh, or that, like, I'll get like part of my tongue removed, and we'll have no source of income. Like, mine's more permanent. It's not like I'm gonna have to take a year off. It's like Mark can't speak anymore. <laughs> Thank God he saved some money. If only we could read his writing. What? When was the last time you lost your mind? I was like 25, I think. 24. Oh, when I knew you. Yeah, right. Before or after? Before. Oh, so I was just getting the tail end of that. I think you were getting a a pretty recovered person. I was just I just had taken a a bad spell. <laughs> no, I think I was twenty four. I think I was twenty four. And uh, what precipitated that? Uh, I went off my medication. Really? Yeah. You just said I don't need it anymore. Um, basically. And by that, I was time, tired of needing it. Oh, you're like maybe this went away. Yeah, basically. So by that time, you were working stand up. Done some, working. done some TV, done some writing as well. Had I you was, done a Letterman yet? No, no, no. I've never done a Letterman, but I, I was, yeah, I was um, like really quickly, like I was to stand up through college, got out of college, worked on Crank Anchors, then Kimmel. All right, let's let's go back then. Yeah. Let's 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 build to right. the to the break. All right. Because I, I I I haven't had that conversation. I don't think. Okay. The uh, I went off my meds and lost my mind medication. Really? Yeah, I don't think so. So you finished college? Finished college. What did you What did you major in? English. Yeah, me too. Like, what? What was your focus? Uh, creative writing. Creative writing. Um, Poetry. Yeah, I did a lot of. Yeah, I took whatever, whatever class. I, I, I didn't. I wasn't that obsessed with uh, 
school on any level because I was doing stand up the whole time and wanted to leave in college. Career. Yeah. In L.A. Yeah. So that's when you started going to the clubs when you were like 19. Yeah. And you were interesting. I guess. Yeah. No, you you know, you you're uh, a, a powerful presence. <laughs> you have a style that is unique. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're you, you all that effort you put into being cool paid off. <laughs> sure. Thank God. It's, it's not nothing. No. But do you I, remember yeah. where you first got paid to do comedy? Um, God. Was that ever important to you? No. I, it, the reason it was never something I thought about was because I was always making money writing. So that was taking care of the bills. Wait, wait, wait how did you get your first writing job? I got Crank Anchors. How'd you get that? I, uh, it sounded so aggressive. I got, uh, There's no way that, that's, that question doesn't sound ex- aggressive coming from <laughs> anybody in showbiz, especially comics. Yeah. There's no way, oh, that's interesting, how'd, how'd you, you get, get that? that? There's still a part of it. It's like, yeah. what, what? Yeah. Who'd you, what's the guy's name? Who, do you, can you give me a contact? The guy's name is Jordan Rubin. And he Jordan was at Rubin the, gave uh, you the gig? No, he was at the bar at the Improv and said, uh, Crank Yankers is hiring, I think I was just out of college. Doing open mics. Doing, you know, well, at this point, yeah, doing the Improv right. and doing, you know. Like clubs and stuff, and uh, and he said I can get you the whatever the email I can have them email you the packet they want whatever. Yeah. So I basically wrote a packet, mm-hmm. and uh, which was what crank calls. Yeah, you write like the character, you know, different character ideas, different places they would call, why they would call, joke, you know, mm-hmm. joke pitches, and uh, and I got crank anchors um, just off doing that, and then first season. No, it was like their third, I think. Uh huh. And then Kimmel produced that show. Right. So he got to know me through that show. Right. And then asked me to submit to Kimmel to his late night show, which was for new. monologue? For everything. They do, uh-huh. you know, it's monologue sketches. Up. Yeah. And I went over there to Kimmel. And you were 20? I was, no, I was like 21 at Crank Anchors, 22, 23. 24 kind of at Kimmel and how many what what was the day at Kimmel like for a 24 year old person you were just sitting there knocking out jokes yeah I remember the first um I remember very few like firsts and things like that but I remember the first sketch I got on and had to go like produce it and get a you know have be be teamed with a producer and actor you know it was very so that's how that works when you write a sketch they're like all right here you go Go make it happen. Well, you write, you pitch an idea, and I was yeah. like, "Here's the news story. Here's my take on it." And then Jimmy was like, "Sounds great. Go do it." And I remember thinking that at that, that point I was probably 22, and I was like, "No, no clue." It was you know a week or two into work, and something had gotten picked up, and I'm you know <laughs> so you, the you security had, guard thought I was an intern for like a week, and I was just like, you, "Oh God." Did you? Did you? Uh, Who did you go like? Who do I talk to about? You know, someone Maybe. luckily comes to you and guides you. And says, so like, you ready? We're yeah, gonna... and I had to cast these porn, porn stars in this whole thing. And I'm uh-huh. just like in a van with porn stars driving to tape a bit going like, I guess this is my life. Yeah. And it was great because it was also, you know, at that time, I think my monthly nut was like $1,000, you know, like, like $500 rent. Like I had nothing to pay for. So all I did was just have fun and save money and then eventually. Well, it's one of those things where somebody like your age gets that gig and you're into comedy what maybe three or four years yeah right so you're not really you you know you're not doing big comedy gigs and you get a writing gig which is a job that comics do and you're a writer but that's all that's really all i wanted to do even when i started stand-up was write. so it's 
it was you knew that going into stand up yeah. that this was a path to no, that comedy it was, writing I started really doing stand up because I wanted to see if what I was writing was funny uh huh oh right and and I mostly started with like one liners yeah so that's what I remember yeah so it was kind of it was an easy kind of comedy to test in a weird way you your get ability up, to write something funny yeah you get up on stage you read the jokes like yeah. almost as a list yeah and uh, and get off and go, okay, yeah, I wrote funny things. Like, I can do this. But your goal in your mind was always to write. Yeah. That's yeah, it was, it was not, stand-up wasn't a big goal until other people, I think, thought, uh, other professional, you know, managers, agents over around me in my early 20s were kind of pushing me to do it more i I don't but it never it was never my main drive i never thought i want to be a big famous stand-up comedian right really i wanted to be a a writer and figure that out and i you know and figure out how that worked because i didn't growing up you don't know how people write comedy no idea yeah i'm not sure i do now (laughs) i kind of do but I, I never worked on the kind of shows you worked on. So you do Crank Yankers, and you're able to sort of like start to realize, you know, sketches and characters, and then you mm-hmm. do Kimmel, and you're just hammering out fucking monologue jokes and sketch ideas. Yeah. And how long were you over there? I was there for uh, a couple years. I That was like when I went off my medication. But that's hard work. I think what I was getting at was that there's a judgment placed on younger people, yeah. you know, or certainly in the stand-up world. So I think the trickiest thing about... You know, being a stand-up and having a crew of stand-ups is that when you get that gig, you're up against people going like, what the fuck? Right. Why the fuck did she get that? Yeah. And and I think what people don't realize is that it's an insane amount of work. It's very demanding. It is. Um, you, I mean, how many jokes a day do you have to churn out for monologue? Well, I mean, it, it depends. You know, Fallon, when I was there later, that was, that was the most jokes. I, I don't even remember the number, but, you know, when I was just doing monologue there, so that was... You know, it was a little more of a, your focus is so, like, myopic as far as just current event, current event, current event, topical story, topical, you know, and you're yeah. just writing the same thing right. all day, all, you know, and it's, it's uh, I think it's easy to burn out of those kind of jobs. Right. Where it's repetitive. Unless in you way. just look at it as math. Right. So, all right, so you do, all right, so you do um, Kimmel, and then you're like, I'm doing good, no more pills for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, was, that's exactly what happened. And I made it like, honest, okay, I had tried to go off it uh, a few times and only lasted like two weeks and I was back. And I was like, all right, that was stupid. And then this time, I think just off what of happens? pure adrenaline, I, uh, oh, you just get, I don't know, you just start to, I mean, f- for me, it was a matter of not getting past the initial like withdrawals and feeling crazy. Like a, there's just a matter, that, that's just going to happen when you, yeah go off medication or on medication or try to transition from one to another so i never got past that initial stage then once i did i think like pure adrenaline just carried me like six more months and and i was just spiraling the whole time how did it manifest itself um deep like antisocial depression and uh you know couldn't sleep couldn't eat couldn't uh i started working out obsessively which i had never done before i mean if usually if food and because you thought that 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 would make you feel better uh it was a way to alleviate the anxiety was it that when you started boxing 
No, boxing was 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 after that. This was I would literally just go to like the ballets in Hollywood and and get on a elliptical or something and just go for like an hour until Were you I could eating? sleep. Uh, not eventually. Yeah, I was like uh, at some point I was down to like a hundred pounds, and I'm because you had no appetite. Tall. Uh, you... Yeah, I think it just it started that way, and I think it just uh, compounded itself. Like every I was I was so out of control in my head and uh, with what though just that like i, I suck or like i can't uh, just what uh, just a complete feeling of pointlessness and uh, what am i doing and why am i doing it and you know i think i think there was also part of me that got things earlier than i thought i would yeah and didn't know what was next right and and then uh, without medication that would just compound. without medication i was just a disaster and uh and ended up ultimately ended up having to go to a grown-up a grown-up psychiatric uh really? facility and yeah that who, was who who brought you there who stepped in um someone tried to bring me there i left and then i went back by myself like i i was sort of told to go to this place a friend uh who was it originally? Yeah, a friend originally said go to this place. I, I went. It scared me. I left. What scared you? Um, the the type of insanity that I saw. Immediately. Immediately, yeah. What was it? It was just a very manic, um, possibly homeless person chatting me up in the waiting area, and I was like, "This is not me." Oh, you didn't even get to the desk. No, no, I I, I was sitting around there for a while, and I said, "I'm going home," and. Uh, and then a couple of days later, I just, I was at the end of it. I was staying at a friend's house. I was like being watched by friend. Like people were afraid for me. Like it was very. They afraid you were going to hurt yourself? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Were you? Uh, I don't think I, I don't think so. I think, I I don't know. I, I, I didn't have the means to do anything. Right. And I don't think I would have been the type of person to like jump off a bridge or anything like that. Right. I was just, I was very sick and, uh, and I basically told jimmy that i had to you know in tears like I, I basically told him to to fire me so you were still working yeah did people you were working with know um i think they knew when i started to lose a lot of weight uh-huh but your weren't your behavior wasn't erratic jimmy wasn't like what's going on with you i don't know let's I don't have know. a sit down i honestly to this day i don't know i think that um i think that I was. Pr I think I've always been pretty good at faking it mm -hmm. um, when things aren't totally right. In my Were you head. the only woman in the writing room? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Molly. Um. Uh. Molly McNerney was there. She was a writer's assistant at the time. She's now the head writer. Uh huh. So uh, she was. She was in the room. But you were the only woman. Yeah. With what? Seven guys. Probably like ten. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that was, you know, that was such a weird time in my life because it was, I had so much and was probably the, the most unhappy I'd ever been. And that's hard to reconcile. Yeah. Like yeah. that you know, party must've thought like, this should be good. Right. But yeah. that was, that was the, I'd say that experience was even more so than when I was 16 was so profound in, in kind of telling me like all right this is something you might have to deal with the rest of your life and you got to be smart about it vigilant yeah very vigilant and honestly like 
I mean, I, I was telling Kimmel, like, I was like, you should fire me. I'm not going to be back. This is, you know, basic, kind of just let me go. And I think he had probably been someone who had put so many people in some way or another through rehab or whatever. whatever. He was, and he was older and he saw, I didn't think I was going to get better. And clearly he knew more than I did. And probably the best thing anyone's ever done for me was what he did when I was not well, which was like he, uh, he kept me paid and was like, you'll be back. And I said I wouldn't be. And I was like two months later, I think. He just said, do take, take the time you need. And, yeah. And, and you know, you you have a job here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's pretty re- remarkable, I think. <laughs> I mean, nobody, you know, when you find somebody like that loyal, that's why I've always kind of been weird even about leaving there because I, I left soon after I came back and it was just a matter of uh, still having a lot of those what do I do next kind of feelings and, you know, what do I want to do and what will I be happy doing and bigger questions than uh, than just, you know, what's the next show or it was, I just had right. a little bit of a... I got better, and then just needed a break. So you were you were, you went away for two months. I went away for two months, came back, and what they just leveled you out on medicine. Honestly, they put me back on what I'd gone off of, and within like three weeks, I think I was probably already fifty, sixty percent better, and then it and just they fattened got, you up. Fattened me up, yeah. I was so, I was just, I don't know. It was funny because a friend actually said something to me and I, and I, you always think like, when do you say shit to your friends? Like, hey, you look sick or you look whatever. And a friend told me, you know, you got a problem. And I was like, I do. Yeah. So you got out and you went back to work for a couple months and then. I went back to work for a little while. I can't remember exactly how long. And then I just kind of said, I'm going to go. And what did Jimmy say? Uh, I think he was cool about it. I, I can't remember exactly, but it's hard when the person's not leaving to do something else, when they're just leaving to f- right. figure things out. Right. What do you say, you know? But you at know? that point, you're what? You're 24 years old. Yeah. I mean, it's a natural moment. It's a natural time to do that. Yeah. So I just, I literally put all my stuff in storage and went to London for a month and, or to some weird town outside of London and just was alone for a month and tried to pace figure out what i wanted to do next no one said maybe that's not the best idea that was your plan i'm gonna rent a country house no i rented a uh i didn't even rent my friend just happened to have a like a flat that was empty and in like balham i don't Mm. know if you know where balham is i don't know anything about it south of uh london and i and i just it was a free basically it was a free place to stay in another country and i thought that sounds fun so you got it together then? What did you yeah, decide Yeah, there? I decided uh, that, well, I decided that it was kind of okay to not know what I was going to do next, but also that I would never, uh, that was my last attempt at thinking I could will myself out of depression and not need medication. But you were on medication. Yeah. And you accepted it. And I accepted it. That was what the, the London period yielded. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And then you came back and got a job where? I didn't work for, um, I'm trying to think of, I'm now I'm getting into the Scotland territory, so I'm trying to figure it out. Now I'm like ready to ask you, like, where was I when I? 
when you what? Where, where, I don't know what I was doing. When we dated for a month? Yeah, where, where was I? Was uh, I working? I remember. No, because I got a, I did a pilot. I did a couple pilots, I remember. Because I think I told you about one and you didn't seem happy for me. Oh, really? Yeah. What was that, like 2007? When did, I should Probably. know when my wife left me. Yeah. 2006. Was it 2006, I think? Maybe. And yeah, there was, you know, we were hanging out at Amy Mann's pool. Yeah. You were, you felt bad for me. Yeah. You're like, this guy's in trouble. Let yeah. him sit at the pool. I fucked that up. I fucked I the also, pool situation up. Yeah. I also thought I shouldn't be alone with you. Right. I was like, this seems healthy. This no, seems- I didn't feel like I should be alone with you. And I think we avoided that for a while. Yeah. And we just did the pool thing. Yeah. And and that was very nice. It mm-hmm. was helpful. And then uh, I think for about a month or so, we were just hanging out at the pool and palling around. Yeah. And then something happened. And then some stuff happened. Some stuff happened. And we were like, oh, what, what's happening now? I can't do it. I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm. I was. I can't even imagine what an emotional fucking disaster I was. Yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, well, I'd, I'd of... like to apologize again for whatever trouble I caused you in a very genuine way. You, you know? want to make another amends? Is this the second one? I think it's like the fourth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd like to to make a a public amends. I think I like cried twice over eggs at the House of Pies having the same amends or something. Once at the House of Pies, once at the comedy store. Were those the only two times you cried in public? (laughs) No, I cried in Scotland. The same thing, right? No, that was from yelling. From me yelling? Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Maybe Maybe if I made a specific amends, if you could refresh my memory of each time that I... You did you did scream in my face and tell me that I didn't support your voice on stage. <laughs> no, come on. Yeah, it's I it's one of my favorite things that I remember in my whole life. Really? I mean, in hindsight it's my favorite. At the time it was I didn't know what was happening. I know what was happening. Oh. It was it, your too cool for school attitude backfired. What do you mean, too cool for school attitude? I was, I was like, I go to your show. I was a nice show. But I think it go was to the bar after I walk home, and then boom, and then boom. You don't support my voice. Yeah. I think you know. I, you want to know what that was? What? Because I'm doing some research in this yeah. now. It was me assuming that your tone was dismissive, mm-hmm. and and it may not have been. It probably wasn't. I don't know. I would imagine you would tell me, no, it wasn't. I very much enjoyed what you were doing. Is that what you would say? I did very much. I think I kept trying to tell you I enjoyed it because it was, you were there with Kirk and like the audiences weren't like, yeah. it was like a weird setup and you didn't seem happy. So I, I kept telling, I kept, I felt like I kept trying to make you happier. Yeah. I was, I was like, it was depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I went back to Scotland the next year and doing my own show and that was depressing. I mean, it was, you know. It was relentless. Yeah. But I somehow made you the enemy in that moment because I here's the fucking thing, and I don't know what you're learning. Yeah. Maybe you can help me out because mm-hmm. you're, you're a little more solid with this shit than I am. That, like, my own fucking embarrassment and shame and self-judgment, mm-hmm. you know, was probably overflowing. And then when I when I heard your tone, I put it on you. I'm right. like, no, you're, you don't support. You're not excited 
weren't you like w- there was nothing you could have done to make me feel better and yeah, i was and, literally like going back to your home in a cab i was clearly trying to make you happier <laughs> like there wasn't <laughs> i know i i'm ugh, i'm sorry i uh yeah i i decided that uh, that you were um you were judging me as hard as i was judging myself oh and uh, I just lumped you in with the crowd that was against me within. I and, understand. Uh, so I did let you into my heart. It's not the right way. <laughs> was, <laughs> it was, you were not. You were in it the wrong. It was a complete disaster. You were, <laughs> it was a. You were in the wrong room. A life altering. Never again. Like the Holocaust. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Really. A little bit, uh, a little bit, but I was very, uh, I was very inexperienced and fragile. Me, too. I was fragile and overly experienced. Yeah, but I think sometimes <laughs> I was going to say I think sometimes, like I will apologize just to make things right, or yeah. I will, I will take, I will just. It's actually a thing I used to do with my mom a lot, but like just. Say sorry till it's fixed, right, you know? Right, Even if it's got nothing to do with you. Right. And I think that exposes a soft spot. And I think sometimes when you... Like, a lot of people, they'll see that they won, and they'll be happy that they won. But sometimes I used to think that if you saw a soft spot, you'd attack it more. Uh-huh. Like, I'd be like, I'm sorry. And mm. then mm. I think it would end mm-hmm. by saying, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. even though I hadn't done anything. Mm-hmm. But then I would just keep going, and I didn't understand why it kept going. Well, I was like, you know, three or four months out of a marriage. Sure. I was emotionally devastated. Yeah. And, uh, and completely, like now, you know, having just gone through another breakup, mm-hmm. the, the, the amount of distrust and the amount of, of anger and the amount of self, you know, blame and all that stuff. I mean, I, I, I was coming at you with a lot of garbage that okay. had nothing to do with you. Is that rationalizing? No. Oh, that sounds right. So, but so, what did you learn from it? Because I'd, I'd like to know. Outside of never again, um, might as well get personal. We're in it. No, I think, yeah, I, I think I had to do a lot of, um, a lot of searching about uh, about why I picked you, mm. not about you and what you were doing because you were being you. But I had to figure out why I was gravitating towards somebody like you. Or had why you I've... gravitated toward, towards somebody like me before? I think I've definitely gravitated towards people who are unavailable mm. um, emotionally. But not necessarily self-destructive or... Yeah, I think it, it or was... Or perhaps angry. Angry. The anger was the thing that was... That was a theme. That Well, the, no, no, no. The anger... Your anger was the thing I think that fucked me up the most because I just... I can't deal with like being yelled at and say like that really mm. it breaks me down in a in a very um heavy way. And, and I was the only one who did that? Yes. Really? Yeah. God damn it. But I also thought, you know, like my f- I, you know, I can say this now like I had such strong feelings that I was so conflicted as to, you know, like what's wrong with me that I care so much about somebody who's so shitty to me basically and, th- and let's make it clear this all happened within a month yeah it was it was all very yeah. quick 
and I was uh, an open wound. Yeah. And what I I felt, you know, it's like that shit was so not about you. I was, you know, it was so not. So what did you come up with? Why do you gravitate towards people who are unavailable and perhaps angry? Uh, because I'm, uh, I mean, according to uh, the people I've given thousands of dollars to to tell me this, I, I you know, I, I am afraid of things that will work out anyway. So I'm, I keep myself protected by only uh, involving myself with people who are not available. But do you, okay, but is there some component of it that, you know, when somebody is spinning around mm-hmm. or, or, or just the other part of unavailable, I mean, you have dated other comics and comic writers and stuff. Is there something about somebody who's sort of uh, painfully self-centered that gives you a sort of break? Um, no, I mean, I'm attracted to people who are funny and that's, you know, s- smart, funny, interesting people. Like, I, there's a huge, I, I think that was part of it with you. And then on top of it, a lot of those people tend to be damaged. Mm. Yeah, I'm so glad I'm beyond all that. Like, I'm just fucking nailing it now. You're on top of it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't sweep. Really? Mm -hmm. Why? I'm just having a hard time. (laughs) Oh, no. No, it's good. It's good. It's just like, I just don't know if I'm going to get it right. Are you getting it right? Are you better? Um, I think I'm better at not beating myself up for the things I do wrong. Uh-huh. Like I think I'm better at, at I'm better at being alone, which is a little scary. Uh-huh. You're okay I, with it. It's yeah. not it's not a condition of uh, of a mental it's not like I can't go out. It's like I'm okay. Right. I'm better but I'm but I'm also a little bit worried that like, oh I'm so content being alone that I'm not sure if and when I'll meet somebody. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm okay. I don't know. I seem okay. I'm seem pretty good. You're, you know, renting hotel rooms and surfing, going to Costa Rica. I'm trying to do things that I think are good for me, but I also am such a, you know, I wish I wasn't. I wish I didn't isolate as much, and I wish I went out more, and I wish I socialized. And you used to be everywhere for a while. Yeah, for a while. You're taking pictures, wearing hats. Yeah. (laughs) Making the scene, wearing hats, taking pictures. You were younger uh, then. I was younger. I think I got a lot of kind of partying out of my system but now i'm i'm realizing like i'm not you know i mean i'm 32 i'm not ancient but i don't go places or do things anymore so i'm trying to do that more do you still box uh no but i watch boxing like uh, you know all the time what was the compulsion to boxing who got you into that um i got into it amy was going to amy i was going to a gym amy man was boxing she was boxing and i was going to a different gym and then um I basically just started going to her gym and it was nice to have a friend. You know, we would just, I, I, that was when I wasn't working. That was between kind of the, the Kimmel and Fallon years and we just box every day, which was great. It's great, you know. You guys still cool? Yeah. Yeah. I saw her on uh, New Year's, I think. It was the last, yeah. And then, okay, so the next job was the Fallon job, really? Um, pretty much. I mean, because for a few years there, I did like I did a couple pilots acting that didn't go. I did jobs. I basically just said I'll do whatever job doesn't last more than three months. I kind of just wanted to award shows and that, yeah, award shows and things like that. And then um, when I got the call about Fallon, 
I just took it. I didn't really want to go back to late night world, but it was a new show. Sure. So that's what was exciting to me. It was like trying to create something from Get the ground. Get it on its feet. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the idea of being in New York was kind of exciting. And I just... I like, remember that move. We were kind of talking. We tried to talk a few times. Tried to. Yeah. Yeah. What? what? Nothing. I mean, you know... It got no, we didn't. We tried. It's always been a little tricky. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we're talking now. We are. Finally. Took a few years. Still. Five years, six years. <laughs> Jesus. Five. Feel all right. <laughs> yeah. Good. So okay, so you went to New York, and then uh, so how did the uh, and you had a good time with Jimmy? He's a good guy. Uh, Jimmy's a good guy. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it was a great gig, except I realized really quickly that I missed LA. Right. I mean, I stayed for two years. But and you I, didn't want to be in that format. Uh, I did. I, it was fun because it was not like paint by numbers yet. It was very fresh and new and what's uh-huh. Jimmy's voice and what's Jimmy's voice in the monologue and, right. you know, trying to utilize all these great skills he has, you know, in the monologue and it was a fun writing experience mm-hmm. and it was a fun stand-up experience to an extent, like trying to, you know, get it going up at the cellar and, you know, things like that, that I kind of, uh, romanticized a little bit, uh, about New York and, you know, until you're going home from work and sleeping from, you know, nine to midnight and then getting up to do 1am spot at the cellar and then coming back home and then yeah. getting to sleep, like it, that schedule just started to be too grueling. Yeah, New York is a very taxing experience, uh, you know, even when you love it. Yeah. Like, just to get somewhere, you, you have to be in that zone, and it, it requires all of your senses all of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going outside now. Yeah. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah, and there are people who do it so well. There's people who, you look at people and go, oh, that, that comic is built for New York. They're built for yeah, you, set to set to set to set. Yeah, like, you go through it. You know, it's a good yeah. training ground, but everybody kind of wears out. There's only a couple of those guys that really do that yeah. for the entire life. Yeah. One, Dave, Dave Attell. Attell. <laughs> <laughs> I, all I, it's funny, as I was saying it, I'm just picturing like David, like a hood up, like walking, you know, just. Putting out a cigarette as he walked in. What's up? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Th- I think he's off the smokes. Is he? I mean, no, he's off the booze. He's off the booze. Yeah, he looks better. I haven't seen him in a while. All right, so now let's get up to speed here. Whitney Cummings, mm-hmm. your uh, your benefactor. Yeah, I guess in a Initially. way. In a way, yeah. I mean, I I think she's the reason that I met with my boss to to work on and to bro girls. So. That she created the show, but is no longer involved. Well, she wrote the pilot with Michael, right? And she, uh, she like doesn't come in, but she writes uh, scripts sometimes. Uh huh. Oh, she still does that. Yeah. And um, is it good to see her occasionally? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have any like we don't hang out, right? You know, but yeah, she's uh, a worker. She's a she's a hard ass worker. Yeah. I mean, there's so are you. Yeah, I mean, she she's kind of one of those people who work so hard that you, you know, there's just people that you can look at and you go, I could stand to have a little bit more of that, right. whatever that is. Right. Like, um, but she's a she's a hard worker and she's uh, and she's really smart. Like Chelsea Handler is the same way. I mean, yeah. These they work their fucking ass off. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, and I like don't it, have it, it always in me. fucking irritates me 
you know, with you know, with Whitney and Chelsea especially because you know they get flack for whatever, right? And it's like you know whatever you think about them, they've earned every cent. They work their mm-hmm. fucking guts out. Yeah, you know, and it's it, it, it is it, it is sort of saddens me that that there still is that thing, you know, dude saying like, eh, "Fuck her, bitch," you know, she doesn't do. You know, I I see it when I when I post. Uh, a woman who I talk to, mm-hmm. the comments are different. They're judged really? differently. It's annoying. Interesting. Why? No, because now I'm curious as to what people are going to... Oh, boy. But I mean, what say. do you like... Because there is... I feel like there's more women writing in comedy now than there has mm-hmm. been in a long fucking time. Yeah. If there not are ever. way more than even when I started, to, what, 11, 10, 11 years ago. Like, there's staffs full of women. I mean, the uh, the staff i'm on now even you know sitcom not late night show but it's we're more than 50 percent you know women it's like half women half men half uh-huh. gay half straight it's very you know it's a big diverse mix now do you find that is by virtue of talent or do you feel like um executives are honoring quotas or no there's like- no quotas um uh i think some some i think quotas are sort of some studios have them, some don't. Some but networks it, it, have them, some don't. If but. not, un, but not necessarily, but some maybe uh, are unspoken. Yeah. Know, right? Yeah, this is just happens to be the way the, uh, you know, that everything sort of unfolded was these were the people that, you know, I know Michael wanted to hire people that had been broke. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a big, I think that was a, a part of it. But uh, uh, yeah, we have kind of a ragtag group, but I had never, not until Fallon had I even worked with another woman on a show. Really? Yeah. Did that upset you? Um, I think in the beginning it was exciting in a weird way, in a way to be the only woman. There's there's well, an element you know, you of were like, a jock and a yeah, and, a and boxer, and, and especially at Kimmel, it's it's a little more of a masculine. Like you know, those guys are more they're into sports, and it's yeah. it's it's, it's uh, it was less of like the Harvard vibe and more of you know, yeah, dude, dudes, dude, dudes, yeah. and I really like that. I've, I'm yeah. comfortable in that kind of uh, environment, so it was it was fine for me. And then I was excited to to work with another chick at Fallon, and then and then this job is like all you know. Have you dealt with the Harvard vibe? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm cool. I mean, you know, I started like it's funny because I could even divide the people I started with as like there were the store guys, yeah. like, right? Dave Anthony, right. Ari, you know, Nick Yusuf. And then there were, Dave Taylor. then there were, and you know, Dave Taylor, I'm sorry. And then, uh, Dave Anthony. And then, um, and then like my Harvard, like Dan Mintz and BJ Novak and I were really, really close. And yeah. we were all sort of coming up at the same time. Right. My first job really was, you know, it's interesting about hmm. those two groups hmm. is that one group seemed to have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> The other group, no, I'm not sure it's planned site like there. There's a profound difference <laughs> in what the Harvard guys did with their stand-up experience and what those yeah. other guys did. But those guys are, you know, I mean, everyone's, the great thing is like everyone's still doing stand-up or whatever they want to do in their own way. Like, you know. Well, there's a real difference in, in, and you know this to be true too, because you didn't, it was not your agenda, is that there is still this very real uh, strangely mythic commitment to the idea of what a stand-up comic's life is like right. for one who only wants to do stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. And then there's a new generation. I think they've always been around. Some guys, 
you know, whether they'll admit it or not, you stand up as a platform like you do to figure out how to be funny right. and then to take that talent and, and, and utilize it however yeah. it best serves them without the commitment to the dues paying, the, the legacy of what real stand-up is and right. all that other shit. That has always been the way it goes. Yeah. But that's the real difference. Well, I don't think, I mean, I think I paid my dues in, in L.A., but if, if you're going to, like... I see, I wasn't not, even but saying not, that no, about No, 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 but I mean, like, but I certainly didn't in regards to, like, the road. Like, that was just a thing that I knew, I knew I didn't want to live on the road. I couldn't. I, I don't think it would have been good for me. Right, but you also knew that your talent as a funny person was better suited uh, for you and what you wanted to do with writing. Yeah, yeah, and 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 stand up was something you can do and are yeah. good at, and and can you know do when you want to do it. Right. It's not like you know, like I'm putting all my fucking eggs in this basket. Right. The one that's right. got almost no guarantee of working out. <laughs> There's a right. practicality to that. You know, the psychology of the two different types of approaches. You know, I, you know. I, I kind of know what it is, but it's definitely different, you know, between, you know, people that understand what the talent of being funny is mm -hmm. and, and what they're going to do with that talent to those who are sort of being dragged by this idea or this, you know, very specific way of life. Yeah. And I, you know, I have friends doing all, you know, doing all of it. Mm -hmm. And, and I have like a huge amount of respect for people who can just kind of, Especially like road guys, like guys who've just been doing it forever. Yeah. Like to me, like that's a kind of discipline, and 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 the the motivation to still want to do it every night to me is is wild. Hmm. It is wild. I guess it's a pretty good broad way to put it. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on there. Yeah. So so you're on a hit show and you're you're solid over there. Uh yeah, I mean I'm I'm on my third year uh on that show, and you know I mean I don't know what the next thing's gonna be but probably another year of that show maybe mm. do you want to write a movie do you want to act more do you um, want to i take I, a year I off would love to you know i mean i think i'd love to do what a lot of people want to do which is create something and have someone make it i thought you were gonna say nothing <laughs> no i i don't i could never do i can't do nothing i need some kind of structure or i'll drift yeah, drift uh -huh. but uh but yeah i'd love to i'd love to have my own idea and uh have someone say we'll give you money to make that and hire who great. you want yeah hire your friends well i hope that happens for you morgan thanks and and i and i have love for you and i feel uh a renewed uh sense of um <sighs> mm. <laughs> i feel bad do you yeah and i you know and i'm glad we talked in all seriousness. All right. Okay. That's it. That's our show. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope uh, I, I didn't bum anybody out at the beginning. I love you all. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Um, get that app. Get the free app, the free WTF app. Upload to the premium. You can get it all. Get some new premium content. Me and... Uh, my producer and partner, uh, Brendan McDonald, are, are, are giving you a little bit of a, a primer to the uh, to what we think the deep cuts of WTF are, the, the episodes that some people might uh, overlook because they might not know the people. We're giving you a little behind-the-scenes insight into that. We're doing that every week uh, for the first, uh, you know, in chunks of 25 episodes. You get that if you become a premium uh, subscriber to WTF. There will be more premium content in the very near future. Um, 
Okay, man. I'll talk to you Thursday. I'm going to New York, and uh, and and uh, I got to go check on my cat to see if she ripped her stitches out. And uh, rest in peace, Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's a tragedy. I'm gonna miss you. Boomer lives.